Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me again in the studio, Ashley Wakefield. Hi. Hey, Ashley. We have been working through the book of Isaiah chapter by chapter, and we are now at chapter 55, only about 11 chapters left in the book. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Um, this chapter is uh, really uh, a beginning of a whole new section in the book of Isaiah. It's the last section in our uh, whole book series that we're going through. Um, this begins with um, one of the most uh, beautiful passages in the book of Isaiah for me. Um just calling people to, not calling people, but calling, uh, making aware to the people that um, God is going to bring good times and good flourishing to humanity. And uh, we're going to focus on um, the poor a little bit in this chapter. We're going to focus on um, how God is going to be near those that are forsaken. Um, This whole section really is focused on all of the people that feel like they've been uh, lost and abandoned and Uh, God is uh, basically telling them, look, I have not forgotten you, and uh, he's promising to restore everything. So it's a great section. If you are just in a period of life where you don't feel like things are going well, where you feel like you don't have enough money in the bank account to you know, work through this kind of season in life. Like, uh, this is the section that will probably speak the most to your spirit. Um, cause it's a lot of promises of God going to be faithful and helping, um, in those situations. So I'm really excited to dive into this one. I just personally, I need this section in my life too. So like, I'm excited to read this just for me as well. So, um, I'm excited that you guys get to kind of join along with this section. It's going to be a blast, um, as we get through this. Did you have any opening thoughts on this uh, before we jump in, Ashley? Oh, no. I'm just ready to get started. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. All right, so uh, we open this uh, chapter up with a call for the thirsty to come and drink, and those who have no money to come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This is a world I want to live in. Yeah. Wherever this world is, uh, this would this would be amazing. And I do think that in some senses we are seeing a prophecy that will be eventually fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, this idea that like... Um, uh, flash alert warning there won't be capitalism it looks like <laughs> like yeah. there, there'll just be uh, the uh, uh, availability of food to be able to grab at any point in time and uh, you don't really need money um, to buy food and you'll be able to enjoy it for the pleasure it is um, I was going to ask a question about that because I know it specifically says to come buy um, wine and milk without money and without cost so I was like how do you buy it if you're not doing it with money and cost like are you buying it with your your, your faith or i your... yeah i don't know like <laughs> that i mean that's a question that like uh i probably won't get answered to the new heavens and the new earth right like mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of uh um, i'm curious what the even the if the word buy there is used in a um uh oh interesting it's almost like uh it's like a different type of word um yeah the word uh actually has relation to like purchasing like food or grain um and even has like let me look here on logos it's nice to have like logos just handy where you can like do a word search of anything um let's see bible word study here um oh it has a lot of different meanings it can mean like to sell it can mean to buy grain to sell grain the one who's willing to sell to pay buy buying yeah um there are, it it does appear to mean like purchase so yeah i don't know um how how that would work out without the concept of money maybe maybe you buy it with time or who knows yeah. um again i think this is where like uh our systems of like how we do life economically like mm -hmm. just kind of will fall apart and uh whatever whatever way we can do it without money and without cost like um, that'll happen. Uh, it, 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 that's a good question to ask though. It's just kind of like, yeah. how is that going to work? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, and I love in verse two, he, he spends a little bit of time telling like why this is going to be the case. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. So he's mm -hmm. like, you know, why should we spend money on something that like, we just have to eat again and again and again. Like, you know, like it seems pretty uh, uh, pointless to spend money yeah. on a resource like water or food that we're required to eat for yeah. our entire lives, you know? And, yeah. um, 
I, I love that kind of reasoning for what he's saying the new heavens and the earth will be is like it won't always have to be that way where you have to work for things that mm-hmm. don't satisfy you like yeah. you'll eventually be able to put work in and it will always satisfy you and i do think a bit of this is kind of going back to like garden imagery back Mm -hmm. in the um, adam and eve tale where you know a lot of people don't focus on this but the concept is that they were put into a garden where fruit just grew naturally on trees and they could just pick and eat and they didn't really have to do they do work it and they do till it but it wasn't hard to work it was just you know making sure that things look ordered and structured and um for a lot of their time in the garden before sin like um it was quite easy to just walk up and pick fruit off of a tree and eat and be satisfied and you don't have to maybe the buying part of this is just being able to walk up and pick fruit off of a tree i don't know yeah Um, but but it's that concept you know yeah and it kind of the beginning of verse two kind of gives me vibes from ecclesiastes about things being pointless us doing things in vain like the idea that we can work and labor and you and we may die before we get to enjoy it and somebody else will take over the things yeah. we've worked so hard for and they may not even use the resources that we left for them properly. And so it's sort of like, what's the point? And I kind of feel like this is like an answer. Well, you know, there's going to come a day where that won't be the case where you well, you will be able to work and enjoy the things that you work for. And um, going back to verse one, it kind of reminded me of something that I did here in the Bible Project is I've been listening to them a lot lately, so I might bring them up and reference them a lot for the past couple of weeks. But I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> but I was watching a video talking about um, um, living waters and about how Jesus talks about himself being living water. And I think something interesting that I see here that they talked about was the idea that humans in general are like craving something in their souls and they try to fill those things up with everything else but God and it doesn't really satisfy. And so Jesus is trying to get us to come to him because everything that we need or everything that we're desiring is found in him and that desire does not run dry because he constantly is fulfilling that desire. So I just. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a big theme. We've talked about it a little bit on this podcast in Isaiah of just how water um, is one of the biggest themes in scripture um, and how uh, water can both mean terrifying nations of judgment that um, overwhelm and um, uh, threaten to swallow you and can also mean uh, the waters of the streams in the Garden of Eden again where the all the Garden of Eden is situated where there were these four streams uh, four rivers that all ran together in the garden and so you just had access to as much fresh water as you could and that satisfied you without any fear of ever running out of water and so there's kind of this duality of theme moving throughout the whole scripture of like there's kind of this bad water that's like scary could drown you water and then there's this life giving refreshing fresh water um, that uh, Jesus will eventually become uh, identified with uh, Ezekiel actually paints the most beautiful picture of this um, in uh, the very ending of the book um, they come to the temple of God and there's a river that starts to run out of the temple and waters the whole land of Jerusalem kind of pulling on those same themes so yeah no I'm glad you're uh, re- <laughs> researching and there's some beautiful videos yeah. um, that they put out with that kind of um, thoughts and stuff as well so um the interesting thing is in verse three, um, we actually have a call to um, an event that happens in Second Samuel chapter seven. Um, this is uh, 
a story in the book of Samuel where David um, gets it into his mind that he has this beautiful palace where he lives in Jerusalem, but God does not have a palace. He just has a little tent that he is sitting in. And so David gets it into his mind that he wants to build God a temple. Um, God uh, then sends a prophet to him who tells him that um, you think you're going to build me a house. Actually, I'm going to build you a house. And uh, he tells him that he's going to make an everlasting covenant with David. um, And that uh, very importantly, he will always have a son of David on the throne. This is a big promise from God that gets picked up at the end of the exile um, because uh, the line of kings was broken um, after they went exiled. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of Psalms written in this period were trying to understand how God could promise that a son of David would always be on the throne when the Babylonian exile happened. And um, uh, the uh, promised to David doesn't look like it's getting fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So here in these verses, we get a callback to the fact that he still has that covenant in mind and he's still faithful in that covenant and that um, they will eventually have a son of David return to the throne. Of course, we all know that uh, Jesus eventually Mm -hmm. becomes the uh, taker of that. But um, this is kind of why all this gets brought up here is um, he's reminding them, yes, I I know that this covenant looks like it's in shambles right now, but um, he talks about how... uh, He's made David a witness to the peoples and a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Um, uh, Basically, not David, sorry. Uh, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, that being the people, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples and a ruler and commander of the peoples. I'm assuming the him here is probably the servant that's been mentioned in several of the passages before. I'm not entirely sure on that, but I I think just kind of giving the context of that that him there, it seems to be related to um, the servant, or it could be David, either one of those. Um, did you ever have any uh, research anything on who that him might be, Ashley? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I was thinking about something else, though. Oh, yeah. Um, with that, it kind of reminds me, and I think this is a thing that God works with, too, is that um, being somebody else somebody else's faithfulness causes God to extend that faithfulness to the line and I see that there when he's talking about the covenant to David because Israel obviously has not been being faithful and David despite his imperfections was you know he was faithful to God overall in general mm-hmm. and so it's like the idea that he was because of this covenant that he made with this one person he extends it to every other every other person in within that line even though they're being disobedient to the covenant and it's like you see God do that multiple times like with Abraham himself the covenant he makes with Abraham or even when he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Moses is not Moses but Abraham is asking him the question like what if this small group of people are faithful in that city are you going to spare them and he's like yes and it's like this idea that because of this one person or these small group of people I'm going to do this for everyone else so somebody else's faithfulness extends to the faithfulness of everybody else in that line and I just think that's really powerful and it makes you realize how powerful your faithfulness is that it's not just going to be you who benefits from it but also other people who benefit from it yeah uh there's a macro point you can take from that which is like one good person in a sea of bad people is enough for god to give mercy which i've always thought was a was a really uh powerful point that like goodness is way more tangible and Mm -hmm. uh 
powerful a thing than evil. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is just, just kind of serves to remind us of that comfort um, when we're thinking about even our own world and our own society. Um, I think that uh, the ending here is also pulling on uh, the promise that Israel was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this promise was that Israel was supposed to be a light to the other nations mm-hmm. and that, you know, through them being in such a good relationship with God, um, they would then become uh, an obvious example to all these other nations and other people from other lands would want to um, know what this God is that rescued Israel from Egypt and um, brought them through the waters of the Dead Sea. That was the hope, uh, that was the goal originally. And uh, instead, they became known as the uh, people that um, forgot their God and worshiped gods that uh, did not carry them through the Red Sea. And so all of this has come about um, and uh, the nations have kind of uh, been forgotten as well because what Israel was supposed to do never happened. And so it's a reminder too in this verse five that like the nations uh, are also eventually going to have that goal fulfilled, right? Like Mm -hmm. they are going to be summoned and um, those that they do not know are going to be running to them. Um, And uh, he's going to endow everyone with splendor, which is, you know, going to be really powerful moment when all of this like finally comes about. And remember to think about this in terms of like their history and not just, Oh, this is heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and from their history's perspective, like, this is beautiful to say after all of the bad history that they've had. Like the fact that God is still believing and saying this is going to happen for them, even though they've royally messed up mm. on so many different levels is really powerful. Like it, it just shows how faithful he is to his own promises. Completely. Um, and I, I, I just find that like far more meaningful when you kind of attach the history of Israel's unfaithfulness to this entire story right right um the in verse six it then begins to kind we kind of get a break in verse six and we move on to um the author of this passage saying seek the lord while he may be found call on him while he's near um and so we get this kind of uh, a brief little command here this like a bit on where we get to um look at what good people will do and what bad people will do and uh they're different um things i love this concept of like um the Lord is not obvious in the world and that a person Mm -hmm. needs to seek him out um, when he is near, basically like uh, this kind of goes back to the idea in Psalm one of uh, uh, blessed is the man who meditates on his law day and night. Uh, It's this concept of like um, the truths of God and who God is and his personality and his, who he is as, um, as creator, like, those aren't like things you learn really quickly. Like you have to seek them out and mm-hmm. um, it's the wicked that kind of forsake ways and the unrighteous, those don't like they, it, part of the reason that they're wicked and unrighteousness, they just don't take the time to really pursue after God, like to seek after God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that like learn that, that willingness to learn and not just be okay with a status quo of life and mm-hmm. that desire to want to know more and more about God. Um, that's really always driven me in my like academic studies even is like, that's part of like the reason that I love to read is to seek out more and more truth. And, you know, I think yeah. that's why you w- love the Bible project right now is you're learning more and more yeah. about, about God and seeking after him. And, um, interestingly at the end of verse seven, it, 
has, has kind of a result of all that learning um, and what should be the result of all that learning, which is let, uh, let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. So we learn about his mercy and his pardoning more than anything. We learn that he's a merciful God, basically, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, is just part of the overall uh, lessons of life, right? As I think we all kind of start out in Christianity expecting God to be very harsh and judgmental whenever yeah. we mess up. And it's, it's that we sort of arrive eventually after many mishaps in our own stories to the point of like, God is actually very merciful yeah, and very, completely. very much someone that's like pardons our thoughts, you know? Yeah. And, and I guess when I was reading that verse, I guess I saw it a little bit differently because uh-huh. I guess I saw it like a God was giving the people a time frame, like I'm available to you now for you to come to me and find me and seek righteousness and forgiveness, but I'm not always going to do that. Like, yeah, yeah, like I'm going to like give you this period of time, however long that may be to realize that what you're doing is wrong and then turn your way and then turn back to me before I basically like turn my face away from you. Not that he would do that forever because he always saves a remnant, but the idea that like, this is not going to be something that's always going to be open to you. And I guess that's something you can apply to today. Like, you know, when you think about that judgment that's going to come at the end of time, like there's going to be a a period of time where that's no longer going to be an option for you to be like, okay, well, I want to turn back now. It's like, you don't want to wait before it's like too late, which I hope doesn't sound like super, like, I don't know, judgmental, (laughs) (laughs) super like end of time in the world, like judgmental. But I guess it's sort of like, like while we're living, like while we're here now, we have this time. So don't waste it because you're not always going to have that time. So. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the balance with that because I do agree with what you're saying. I think the balance with that is that the parable of the um, people that earn the same wage at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and like some people get hired at like eight a.m. and some people get hired at right uh, like two p.m. and then some people get hired at like the end of the night and only have like one hour to work basically before the end of the shift and at the end the master pays them all the same wage and the people that worked the most get really mad at the master because like wait we worked like a full day shift Mm -hmm. and these guys only worked like an hour and like yet you still pay us the same as like the people that uh only worked an hour and uh the master is uh basically saying no like i agreed to pay each of you separately right um, and uh i think the balance of what jesus is saying through that parable is that like no matter how late it is the wages will be the same and i think that that is part of the um the beauty of like jesus's message in that parable is just um you know he's willing to accept a thief dying on the cross who literally will not have anything uh, any way to live out the Christian walk at right. all because he's about to die and he'll literally accept him on his deathbed basically. So um, I think that's kind of the balance with what you're saying, but I, mm-hmm. I agree. Don't cheese it, you know, like yeah. don't, don't, uh, don't, uh, don't abuse that. Um, and I think that that's, that's valid. Um, he then kind of justifies some of that. Um, what he just said above, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts. Um, he goes in to describe how like rain and snow come down from heaven and like he understands how that all that works and how it's actually being used to like f- make the wa- uh, the earth flourish and um, you know keep it watered and everything basically is going to be sustained by the rain and snow. And he takes that 
image and uh, maps it onto the idea of his word, which goes out and uh, basically sustains anyone that hears it. Um, and on top of that, uh, reassures people that it's not going to return empty, mm -hmm. that it will accomplish what he set out. This was really powerful for me because um, I think sometimes it can feel like uh, Christians are kind of left to figure out the mess of our world, you know, mm -hmm. and like um, I've been a part of so many meetings and read so many books where it just feels like Christians are terrified of the world right now. And we've got to come up with like a new strategy for figuring out how the world, how, how to get people back into the church. And we got to figure out like a new way to, um, be, uh, relatable to people. And we've got to do all these different things. And I'm not saying that all those books don't have helpful information in them, but there's this like fear that basically the world situation kind of rests on our shoulders, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, this fear that we're not loving people enough or that yeah. we're not, you know, um, doing, um, reaching out to people enough. We're not, uh, we're being too critical in churches, like whatever it may be like, and those may be truths, but like the underlying assumption underneath all of those critiques is that like, uh, we, because we aren't doing this because we're failing at this, fill in the blank, whatever critique I have of the church. That is why the world is suffering. That is why people are not coming to Christ. And I don't think you can read these verses and come away with that entirely. Like, I think these verses indicate that God's up above with higher plans than our plans, higher ways than our ways, and is intending certain things. And I think you have to rest in a certain, uh, sovereignty i guess i will say of god i'm not like any in any way shape or form reformed or calvinistic but i do believe that like there is a resting in god having the whole thing taken care of <laughs> like being able to rest in the concept of like god will accomplish what he sets out to do and i'm really just a participant in what he's accomplishing um, I think there's a beauty to that and uh, not to get too doctrinal or anything. Yeah. Cause like, that's just one way to look at it. I, I'd be curious, Ashley, if that's the way you look at it or if there's, a yeah, I feel way. like I'm just now starting to come to terms with something like that only because, and I'm going to tell like a little bit of a personal story with me with that was that I remember when I was at another church, um, there was a prophet who came there and he prophesied to me that I was going to play a part in changing my family because my family has a lot of different issues with a lot of different things. They would take too long in one podcast to go through. Mm. And so I was like, OK, like I'm in agreement with that because I've always wanted to help them. And that was like confirmation for me. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to go do whatever it is that I can do. Like, I really love to pray. So I was like, I'm going to when we come together for family meetings, for, not family meetings, but just like like a dinner, a birthday, a Thanksgiving, Christmas, we're going to pray before we go. That's going to be my way of helping. And then when COVID hit, we couldn't see each other because it was, you know, virus just hit. Nobody knew what was going on. We were confined to our home. So I'm like, I'm going to start a prayer line and we're going to come together. And we're going to pray on this prayer line. And then like, if somebody's going through something and I know about it, I'm going to call them up and I'm going to talk to them about it and pray, pray over them with <laughs> that too. And just all these different things. And there was an incident that happened on this past Sunday where it was sort of like, to keep it vague, um, not to get off topic, it was just sort of like a, an an altercation like we got into like this argument and it sort of made me realize not just with that but other things as well is that like my family hasn't changed as much as I wanted them to and I feel like I've been doing everything I possibly can and I just don't understand and it wasn't that I blamed God it was just sort of like I just realized that there were certain things in my power that I could do and then other things that I could not and I just had to accept the fact that sometimes you get face with your own powerlessness not that God doesn't want you to do something but sometimes you do something and even in you doing something that's not enough 
to produce something. And it's just sort of like when you like look at the New Testament, for example, there would be times where Paul would preach and some people would believe and some people would not. And it's sort of like I've just kind of come to terms with the fact that it's not my job to control everything with what I do. And it's yeah. just sort of like I can only do what I can. And then it, whether it works out or not, it doesn't mean that I necessarily did something wrong. It's just the fact that like there's certain things that I just don't have the power to do. And I have to get comfortable just being powerless, if <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And that's just really a hard thing to do because you feel like, well, I really wanted to help. And like me helping didn't really seem to have any type of effect or change at least not in the way that I thought and it's just sort of like you do what you can and then you let God take the rest and don't worry about like whether or not you're going to have control whether or not you're going to be because at the end of the day it's not you that changes the person it's God that changes the person or the situation it's just sort of like you can only do what you can and you just have to be comfortable comfortable in the fact that you have limitations and just accept the fact that you're limited yeah yeah I was uh, I was talking with actually a non-Christian at a coffee shop this last week and uh, she and I were talking about that concept, actually, not from a Christian perspective, but just from the idea that um, she said something that I was very intrigued by. She said that any time a person tries to help um, someone else and makes it a mission to help someone else, what's really going on is codependency. And I was like, whoa, 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 break, break that down. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? And she was saying, well, think about it. Like the person that's trying to help the other person is dependent on getting a good feeling out of helping them, right? Like yeah. is dependent on getting these feelings of like purpose and yeah. morality and like goodness and like, oh, I, I like I helped that person, yeah. you know? And then the other person is getting the help and so is dependent on the helper to get the help, right? And so her argument was that like basically what's happening in there is they're becoming codependent on one another um, and satisfying each other through different ways. And it really blew my mind. I'd never thought about helping people as being codependent. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just a, a, a completely new way of thinking about things. And ever since then, I've just noticed, especially in the South, that is like a thing. Like there are people I know that just love to help people because they want to build codependent relationships with people. And uh, like, I think that this, these verses here are kind of a challenge to that where it's like, um, instead of being dependent on someone else, whether that be dependent on them to help you or being dependent on getting the feelings of doing good in the world, uh, that shouldn't be what you're dependent on. What you should be dependent on is God's plans in the, in the world, you know? And I think when we take that step, I, you, you, you kind of nailed it on the head of how hard that is to kind of admit that things are not in your control. Um, but like, I think when we take that step, Verses 12 and 13 is what results where you go out and joy like you're, you're suddenly like mm -hmm. free from the burden yeah. of like feeling like you're required to go and uh, do this and um, you're led forth in peace and the mountains and hills will burst in song before you like it, it takes a weight off your shoulders because um, I sort of I sort of th see this there's another book in the Bible that goes even further in depth to this where um uh, it's very, uh, unfortunately, like not read a lot, but um, it's the book of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is one of my favorite books because it basically starts out with um, Habakkuk asking God um, a, 
praying to God for all the problems that are going on in the world. And he sees like the Israelites in particular, just like not following after him. And like, he just has a lot of what I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Like you pray to God about with your family. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's like, um, the funny thing is the response he gets from God after he gives this passionate prayer about how much he wants the Israelites to wake up and follow after him, um, is, don't worry, I'm going to send the Babylonians to murder them. <laughs> and then Hezekiah is like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. That's not what I wanted. And so the second prayer is a prayer of like, the Babylonians are even worse. Like, And then goes on to talk about how awful the Babylonians are. And the end of that one, God's like, no, I know, but trust me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful book overall because you're really forced to reckon with like um, – Things that Habakkuk wanted to have happen don't look like they're happening, but God's in assuring him that, no, those things will happen. They're just not going to happen the way that you think they're going to happen. Yeah, um, and I think that's something that I struggled with. It's like I think that whenever you go into a situation like I did, it was sort of like I have this idea about what I think is going to happen, and it's, it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out. And so you just kind of like, well, I don't understand why God – even if he's telling me through somebody else, it's like, why would he tell me to do this? And it's not working out the way that I want. And it kind of goes back to that verse about, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. It's just like, you know, and it kind of reminds me of that idea of like, people don't need me to fix them. They don't need me. They just need God. And so it's sort of like they opening up the door to them and whether or not they want to walk through it, that's not up to me. I can't, you know, I'm not going to yeah. like try to force them to walk through or trying to make them feel like, well, if I just keep going back and doing this and doing that and I have to, you know, not wanting to give up on it. And it's just sort of like, okay, well you opened up the door and then let God do the rest. Like whether or not they walk through, is not up to you. Like that's, that's up to them. And so it kind of reminds me of how, um, what is, I can't remember what prophet it was. It may have been Ezekiel or something, but it's sort of like, it's not about whether or not you get the result that you want. It's just about doing it. It's mm. sort of like this idea that like, I want you to go out and, and I can't remember if he said this to Ezekiel or someone else, it may have been him, but he basically says that I want you to prophesy to these people. Now, if you prophesy to them and they don't listen to you, then that's on them. But if you don't go out and do it, then that's mm-hmm. on you. And so it's sort of like, I just do what I'm supposed to do. And then their response is not up to me. Like they can respond however they want, but it that's not, their response is not up to me. It's not my, I, I mean, you people get more fixated on the response instead of just doing the thing. And I feel like that that's what I was fixated on. It's like, I don't want to just respond. I don't want to just do what God wants me to do. I want to see the effects of it when I do it. And it's just like, well, it's not always going to be like that. So, yeah. 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 And I do think um, you can kind of balance that with, um, like, I don't think that, like, every evangelistic book or every, like, helping book is just, like, pointless and, like, you shouldn't read those books. And I think there's a way to better your craft in those ways that Mm -hmm. helps you i don't think he's saying that like i don't think he's saying that you shouldn't read those books and you shouldn't like at least try to be as good as you can be in this um and if you aren't getting good results maybe um you shouldn't at least think about the method that you're Mm -hmm. using and think about like what about my method is not working. Um, Like we do that in churches all the time. Like Mm -hmm. that's basically every church meeting is like, how are we doing with membership? Like how are we, you know, like, and I don't think that's wrong. Like, you know, like I don't think any of that is um, bad, but the point that I think he's getting at here is that's not what you hang your hat on when you come to satisfaction of doing a good job. right? Right. Like, where you hang your hat on is knowing that you're 
doing God's work, you know, right, like that, you're, exactly. that you're, you're, you're doing something for him and that you're uh, doing service for him. Um, how well you do it is just a uh, part of that process, but it is not the whole of that process. Right. And I think really boiling down the end results to how well we do it is not helpful. You know, the end results will be, whatever they are and we can take lessons from those end results, but they don't have to be the end all end all of it. Like, um, I think about this a lot. Um, it's funny. Uh, personally, I've been going through a, uh, keto diet and, uh, on my keto diet, there will be days when you wake up and you've ate really well and you gain a pound. Like it just happens in every diet. Like people know this and you're like, like what did I do wrong? Like you could, you could like focus on that like yeah. uh, thing for like the whole of like uh, the day and it could like take you into a bad mood and all this stuff. But it, like at the, at the end result, like over time is that things work out and you are losing weight and it's fine. But it's like, you can get so fixated on that one number on one day, you know, yeah. that like you, you lose track of like uh, over time what is happening. And, right, and exactly. I really, I really think that that's, healthy um especially in in anything you're doing to navigating that kind of am i doing something well or not well um is to look at it from a more holistic perspective anyway that was a long rabbit trail i think that was worth it though i really i thought that was fun to talk about and um very very powerful for anyone out there that um is maybe feeling the same things Um, and thank you for being so personal and willing to share that um, no problem yeah Yeah. um, i did have one thing i wanted to say about the for my thoughts or not your thoughts okay like i said i'm going to be sharing some things from bible project but it kind of reminds me when i heard this line and i thought it was really important i never thought about it but he says on the bible project i think it was tim who says it that the bible is not meant for you to understand god but to know him Mm. and i think that was sort of like yeah and i guess from that perspective i guess what he's meaning what how i took the meaning is that like you know, you can't understand everything about God just because you know the Bible. Like you can read the Bible cover to cover, study it, and that doesn't mean that you understand everything about God. So the important thing isn't trying to figure out figure God out so that you can understand everything about him. It's just the fact that even if you're limited in your knowledge about him, even that what you know is good enough. Like that's just yeah. good enough. Yeah. And there is there is like um in Ephesians it talks about how like his plans have been redeemed, like his plans have been revealed now. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely like a layer of, uh, I'm trying to remember the verse that that is in where he talks about, uh, the plans. Yeah. Um, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is in the verse two of chapter three of Ephesians. This is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly in this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel and goes on to discuss the um, union of Gentiles and uh, Jews. So there is an element, I guess, of that where, where I always keep close of the idea that like there has been more revealed than in the old Testament at least. Um, But like, I still agree with you. Like, I think that like, we'll never (laughs) get to the point of fully understanding God, but there is a powerful point in the new Testament Mm -hmm. of like, we understand him a lot better than we did. And yeah. a big reason for that is because he became 
human right and we get to look at what he looks like as a human you know and it's that uh that's the power of incarnation to me you know the Mm -hmm. power of jesus christ is that you get to see what god looks like in the flesh like you know like that is a powerful viewpoint into um everything infinite of god like um because a lot of people will like um there's this branch of people that will say that God is so far removed and will never understand him that you just take it on faith. Mm-hmm. And I tend to try to push back on that because I do believe that he has given us his son yeah. that lets us know a lot of him. So that's the that's the only like like little barrier to what you're saying, I guess is what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, because I mean I, I agree that there can be new revelation given um mm-hmm. at any point in time. I just you know, I think it's it can be so frustrating because some people like I think I've felt this way and I don't know if you have, but just not understanding what God is doing and why does he do this? Right. And there's like right, this right. this and then just understanding that you're never gonna always know what God is no, doing and no. why but it's like And honestly yeah. if you read Jesus, you hardly <laughs> know what Jesus is up to. Right. So <laughs> Yeah. But I mean it's but it's but yes, you can definitely get revel- new revelation at any point in time, you know, and I think that's kind of the thing that keeps you seeking after God is this idea that we don't always know everything. And the fact that we don't always know everything makes us want to seek more after him. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it, that, I think that's the beauty is it's not outright apparent, you know, um, someone described the Bible in the most beautiful way that I have, I'm going to use from this point forward. He described the Bible as um, uh, a house filled with every locked door imaginable and each locked door has its own unique key and each of those keys is within another locked doors room and you're given one key to open up one door that then gives you another key that then allows you to open up another door that gives you another key Mm -hmm. and that is your slow process of learning about God through the Bible is through this slow methodical, Oh, I opened this door in the Bible and now I kind of understand this theme and that lets me open up this new door that lets me understand this new theme. And so it's a very progressive kind of, uh, kind of hunt, if you will, you know, like in a video game, uh, (laughs) language, we call that, a um, a, uh, Metroid, um, Metrovania, um, which is just a game where you kind of have to get one item to get another item to get another item. Um, in uh, literary circles, this is called a MacGuffin. Um, a MacGuffin. Yeah, MacGuffin. It's kind of funny, um, but uh, it's it's that con- kind of concept, right? Where you're 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 constantly on on the quest for another small piece of information that lets you get further and further into. Um, understanding God. So, yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode. This was fun to talk about. And we will be back in your feed again next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you.